When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 22 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we've got an exclusive interview with Robbie Musto discussing this weekend's Premier League coverage, as well as interesting soccer streaming news from Twitter, big TV numbers from one European soccer league in particular, uh, also news about Copa Libertadores on US television, and lots of questions from you, the readers. My name is Car- uh, Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer. I'm joined by Kartik. How are you, Kartik? I'm doing well, thank you, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, despite Swansea City. But oh, it's been a, it's been a rough season for me. So, Kartik, uh, what have you been watching this past week? Yeah, so I guess the, the highlight game of the weekend was the Bayern uh, Dortmund game on uh, Fox, uh, or actually on FS1. This week, Fox will have uh, Bayern and Bayer Leverkusen, Chicharito versus Bayern. This game was on FS1, and I thought the coverage was very good. The build-up, uh, Ian Joyce sliding over to being an analyst, a commentator uh, with uh, um, Kate Abdo hosting. Eric Winalba, as usual, was on, on point. I thought they were very, very good, very strong coming into a big game, which then turned out to be a dud. Um, I thought Keith Costigan was was quite good in the uh, in the play-by-play, uh, but as a co-commentator, Stuart Holden, uh, he didn't have his strongest day. I'm going to give him a, a pass because I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, Dortmund didn't turn up for about 30 minutes, and that dictates how, as a co-commentator, particularly because you're analyzing a game, how you view and the things you say in what is essentially a one-sided match. And, of course, um, the big talking point was, you know, Arjen Robin's going to cut in on his left, uh, cut in from his right and use his left foot. Why can't anyone stop it? Yeah, Stuart Holden, it, it, it's tough. I, I, I know it's tough in terms of uh, co-commentary, especially when the game is, is really blah. But I think that's, that's the role really of, uh, of a co-commentator, a good comment, co-commentator is look for observations, looks for analysis, looks, look to, share something that's going to interest the viewer. And uh, I missed most of this match. So I was watching the Chelsea Bournemouth match, uh, which I thought was pretty entertaining, a uh, good match to watch. And then I switched, switched over to uh, Bayern against uh, Dortmund in the 61st minute. And I saw that uh, Bayern was winning at that point, 3-1. Um, Costigan, I agree, did a great job. But Stu Holden, it was just, he was just so blah. I mean, it was no constructive analysis, 
a really lack of passion. And uh, I thought in that type of game, though, Kartik, I, th- I thought that uh, an Eric Winalda probably would have been better as a co-commentator, someone that's able to maybe, I don't know, maybe go back in, into history and talk about some personal experiences of having played in the Bundesliga or, or something. But just there was just very little, basically, energy from Holden um, at that point in the game, which was well and truly over by that point. The um, Kartik, on that game too, so uh, Jens Lehmann was in the studio. Um, I missed it in the beginning, but somebody posted on Twitter saying that... Um, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else saying that Lehman, uh, before the game started, as the players were in the the, uh, the tunnel, he was really upset at uh, the Bayern players and Dortmund players, Dortmund players especially, kind of uh, laughing with the Bayern players and kind of giving them high fives or hugs or whatever. And he thought that in a big game like this, where Dortmund really needed to stand up, that they seemed kind of uh, just too. too that seems to be the that seems to be the thing now, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and. You know, Jens Lehmann was an incredibly intense player. I mean, he was, uh, legendary, his intensity and, and, uh, and his kind of, um, craziness in many people's books. He was a goalkeeper, right? So yeah. goalkeepers tend to be a little bit eccentric, but he, um, he made that point. I saw it. I, I thought it was a good point, but at the same time, the game has evolved significantly since he was at the top of his game. Remember, he start, uh, started in the Champions League final 11 years ago and then got sent off in that game, uh, Arsenal-Barcelona. But it's been uh, around that uh, about a time, really six years since he was uh, re- uh, really last in his heyday. And I think we're seeing this now in the tunnels now, um, more in 2016, 2017, than we did even in 2009 or 2010, where... Uh, players come out and they're pally. Maybe they know that they're being filmed, so they're doing it a lot of times for public consumption. In the past, when you come out of the tunnel, it wasn't being filmed. That's that's a good point, Kartik, because uh, you, you think back and you think of, uh, I mean, the, the the incident that jumps out in my mind is uh, the Roy Keane and, um, oh gosh, the, against Arsenal. Um, Oh gosh. Patrick Vieira. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and at that time, I mean, only going back, what, five years? Um, it's only in the last five years that we've really seen a lot of TV coverage of the players tunnel before a match. Yeah. We had the Gary Neville, Peter Schmeichel incident when Peter <laughs> Schmeichel opted to end his career with Man City, which was a little bit odd. I will admit, even as a city fan for a guy that was a United legend, but, uh, that, that was not picked up on. If I recall, until after the match, right, when there were some various tunnel cam or someone had filmed it and it came out, uh, it, but it, it was one of those things that now you would see right away. And actually, Gary Neville probably wouldn't do it now because he knows that there are television, live television cameras, especially being in the television business, right, yeah. that would film it. And and it could have been a, that it was on Sky at the time, and and for the, those of us in the rest of the world, we may not have actually seen that footage until afterwards because I mean whether it's Fox probably at that point. They would have had, I mean, two minutes before the game starts, they go right into the game and that's it. No, no pregame coverage or very little. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. I, I mean, I mean, Jens Lehmann's, um, English wasn't the greatest, but, uh, I, I didn't think that was an issue. Uh, but again, too, for the Bundesliga, it's just, it's just bad luck, Kartik. It seems to be that a lot of these big games are the ones that kind of, there's a lot of, uh, energy and a lot of uh, excitement for just seem to be either low scoring games or high scoring games, but, one-sided high-scoring games. So, un- unfortunately, probably a- another missed opportunity. We'll-, we'll get into the TV ratings a little bit later for this one. So what else have you been watching, Kartik? 
Yeah, obviously that was a disappointment. I watched a lot of Bundesliga this weekend. Hertha and Augsburg was the Sunday morning match. Uh, John Brooks, the American International, scored. Uh, Ingolstadt and Darmstadt was the late match. That was an outstanding match. Uh, Darmstadt now essentially relegated. Uh, they are almost mathematically gone. Ingolstadt's win puts them right there, keeps them uh, in good contention, and they've got a lot of momentum. Uh, they've won three on the bounce now to stay up. Uh, Fox's coverage was a little low-key after... Um, Saturday, the build-up to Bayer, uh, for to Bayern and and BVB. I, I think that there was a um, just a going through the motions type feel to uh, Sunday's coverage. Even though this was a big relegation six-pointer, Ingolstadt and Darmstadt, not bad, not bad coverage, but it just wasn't the the kind of high key with a lot of features and a lot of analysis in the studio that you had the previous day. So, um, so that's what I watched Sunday, and then let's let's move on to Monday. I'm sure you're going to want to talk about this. Uh, our uh, our guest later in the show, Robbie Musto, he he certainly wanted to talk about it. Uh, part Palace and Arsenal, uh, Chris. Yeah, uh, we all watched it. So yeah, it, and again too, for a relegation point of view, from me watching this match, I'm like, oh gosh, come on, please, Arsenal, show up, please, please get something out of this game, at least a draw or a win, so to keep Palace in that relegation threat uh, area. And you I mean Palace are now well out of that, that zone and, and they'll be safe for next season. But but I want to bring up something, though, is in the past we've thought maybe there are these kind of contrived arguments on NBC. You'll hear Robbie Musto later in the show talk about his relationship with Robbie Earl and that they, they actually disagree on a number of things. I was waiting for the contrived argument post-game for this because Musto has been so... Uh, I don't want say anti-Arsene Wenger, because that's not really what it is, but so critical of Arsenal for four or five seasons now, going back to his time uh, on ESPN Press Pass. And I had expected Martino, who has been favorable towards Wenger for the most part over the years, uh, take Wenger's position. And I was waiting for this kind of showdown in the studio. Didn't happen because there's no defense left, right? right. So yeah. it ended up being both of those guys saying very, very pertinent, uh, very, very uh, interesting things about Wenger and the mentality at Arsenal. And I think we both got a kick out of uh, out of Martino's Truman Show analogy because that was spot on. Yeah. And for those of you who missed it, so uh, Martino mentions that it's almost like Arsene Wenger's living in, in the Truman Show where you mean that uh, TV show with uh, movie with uh, Jim Carrey, where there's this whole world that's created uh, just for basically kind of made up world and Wenger's living in it where he kind of thinks okay Arsenal's doing okay they're still challenging and you know I mean yes we win win some games we'll lose some games but everything's fine and in reality outside of that world it's complete I mean chaos and uh, negativity and just uh, frustration and, and you name it but yeah I thought um, that analogy was spot on but the other thing though too Kartik I thought that um, Musto and um and uh, Martino just tore Arsenal apart, um, but not in an aggressive way, not in kind of a belligerent way, but just in in terms of just tough, critical analysis. And, and Arsenal deserved that. I think there's few Arsenal fans at this point that would disagree with that. Um, and I mean, in, in the past, I don't think anyone made excuses, at least not from the NBC point of view, but they kind of said, OK, well, I mean, Wenger's been around a long time. He deserves a lot of, you know, but, but even in the post-match interview, I mean, Wenger looked like a, I don't know, like a lost man, like a broken man, just, just not maintaining eye contact, just, just saying things 
almost almost like a robot just saying the same old things over and over again and just no passion and just I don't know. I don't know what it is, Kartik. It, it is from from a TV coverage point of view. It, it's fascinating to watch his his kind of feedback or his post match or pre game, but also just in terms of the TV coverage, it's incredible. Yeah, I um, I, I think it's worth noting, and, and this is uh, I want to get back to the to the NBC side and and, uh, and Wenger himself. But I think it's worth noting that Arsenal on paper has probably a better team this season than they've had in recent years. They've spent a lot more money. There's always been the, the, the critique that he won't spend. And you've heard Arsenal fans, even at the Emirates chant, spend, 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 instead of go, go, go uh, at, at times. He's actually spent more money. Uh, they, they spent money to bring in Lucas. They spent money to bring in uh, Granit Xhaka. Obviously, Sanchez and Ozil are two of the pricier uh, commodities in the Premier League. And look at the results. So uh, I, I think that that piece of analysis maybe is missing in a lot of the coverage because we bought into a narrative that Wenger and Arsenal have spent less money than Chelsea, Man City, and Man United, those three teams in particular. But they have spent, I believe, probably more money on wages and transfers, I could be wrong about this, than Liverpool has, and certainly more than Spurs have. Yeah, I mean, with the complaint about Arsenal for years, it had always been kind of just a kind of a weak spine in, in defense, and uh, I mean they needed a really strong defensive midfielder. And at this point, I, I don't think those are I mean valid excuses. At this point, on paper, they do definitely have a great team. Wages wise, I agree. I'm I'm sure that in terms of wages, they're they're up there. Um, money spent in the transfers, I'm not sure. Possibly, maybe, maybe not. Liverpool spent wasted a lot of money there too. But, uh, uh, that's true. Yeah. So that, that was interesting though, Kartik, just watching that game. Um, going back just to rewind just a little bit in terms of the weekend, uh, the Bournemouth Chelsea match, uh, mentioned, uh, the only issue with that one was that they had technical problems with the video. Um, at two times in the year, which is usually the spring and the fall, um, there is issues with satellite transmissions, uh, from around the world, just in case, just, just where the earth is placed and where the satellites are placed. That it gets a bit dodgy. I mean, this is unscientific, but there are a couple of times of the year where uh, the video you have like kind of artifacts, uh, and the video quality isn't the greatest. I think that was the reason. And actually, the same thing happened in the Bayern um, uh, Dortmund game too. Is that sometimes you had kind of a at times a crappy uh, uh, video where it kind of just had artifacts on screen and just looked like it was you're watching like a bad stream. Um, West Ham Swansea I watched uh, at this point Swansea looks dead and buried essentially uh, especially against a West Ham side that isn't that good Billich un- under a lot of pressure um, I- at this point I think they're going down and it's really between Borough Swansea and Hull to figure out who's going to be the the two teams that go down out of those three and uh, Swansea as I said in the show before they've played Hull City four times this season and have lost every single game so it doesn't look good there. And uh, I'm trying to think. Also, Friday, Carter got catched up uh, with some championship. Uh, watched uh, QPR against Brighton. Uh, in this game, it was actually uh, entertaining. I, I shouldn't say actually because championship games, to me at least, I, I enjoy watching them. But uh, just an exquisite free kick from Brighton on, on uh, the second goal for the Seagulls there. Uh, two goals in six minutes. And um, that moved them back to the top of the table. Uh, just a beautiful free kick to win that one. On Friday, Good Friday, um, the championship is actually having a triple header on BN Sports. So there's, I think, Bristol City against QPR at 10 a.m. Eastern. 
uh, Wolves against Brighton at noon Eastern. And then 2.45 Eastern is Newcastle against Leeds United. So if uh, if any of the listeners uh, like the championship or want to give it a shot or, and maybe have Good Friday off uh, from work uh, or ha- going home early, I think that's definitely one to check out on Being Sports. And then, Kartik, any any other games that stand out from you uh, that you saw this past weekend? Oh, it doesn't have to be games. Any any, um, any what, what you've been watching? Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed. And this has happened now several weeks successively or maybe not uh, several weeks in a row but many of the last let's say four out of the last six weeks three out of the last five weeks where nbc has been kind of random with match of the day there's been no match of the day on the saturday uh, they pushed highlights onto a sunday or it's been abbreviated there's been no consistency whether uh, they, they use studio bits either from goal zone or newly taped studio bits on match of the day or they just show uh, the broadcast itself. So I'm not quite sure what's going on with that program. Love to hear from NBC as to their long-term term plans for uh, it. Some of us depend on it for highlights and sometimes analysis. Uh, perhaps it's not very many of us. I'm guessing it's not. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's, I guess, perhaps why if there's a live sporting event that runs late, uh, NHL, we're in kind of the business end of their season, whatever else NBC is showing, it bumps it, but uh, it's something that uh, is becoming a little bit annoying for me. Yeah, I think it's one of those things at this point, Carter. Probably the, the numbers aren't that good. Um, it's probably looked at as more of filler. I mean, not really filler, but but it's it's kind of a, a lower priority. So um, if there is something else going on, whether it's I mean, NBCSN has rugby sometimes uh, after after the Premier League, and uh, I think it's one of those things they kind of just fit it wherever it fits best. Um, yeah, but but for viewers, it, it's difficult. It's one of those things. I think I think it's almost like just just to DVR it if you have TiVo or something like that, and then whenever it records, watch it later rather than watch it live. It might be that type of program. And then um, over the weekend, too, Kartik, I watched uh, Malaga against uh, Barcelona. That was on Saturday. Yep, Saturday match, and that was the uh, Malaga with the, with a shock two uh, nil win there. Um, having seen Barcelona play midweek against uh, Juventus. Um, maybe that was kind of a, kind of a prediction of, of how Barcelona would play. Just, I uh, had Andres Cordero commentating with, uh, Ray Hudson on CoCom. Um, this one actually, Kartik, was a good example of, now, now I've, I've talked a lot about this season about La Liga and how they've improved their television coverage. Uh, not only more TV cameras, uh, in the stadiums, but even just the, um, They've had 360 cameras. They've had overhead cameras. I mean, the whole whole production has been so much improved. And this was one example of a game where that particular stadium in Malaga, they haven't updated things. So this is kind of like going back in the time machine to watch La Liga from maybe, say, three or four years ago. And uh, the TV coverage of this one was was uh, interesting because the, t- the TV cameras were so far back that... Um, you felt a disconnection between what you were watching and the game. So if there was something happening at the far end of the field, you kind of had to kind of almost, the camera was so far back, you couldn't really see exactly what was happening uh, in great detail uh, versus any any Premier League match or most of the big La Liga matches where, you mean, you got so many uh, cameras zooming in and different angles. You can see everything in, in live time as well as uh, in replay. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, it was a good game to watch, but uh, you just felt a detachment from the match just in terms of the tele- television coverage. And uh, probably, you know, in La Liga, probably they're working on updating the other stadiums uh, throughout the league to com- improve their television coverage too. So 
Malaga, I'm sure, is going to be on that list. And then, uh, Kartik, we had the, the World Cup announcement, uh, the, the United States and Mexico announcing that, uh, and Canada, <laughs> sorry, uh, announcing that they're going to, uh, bid for the 2026 World Cup. Uh, this one I watched on Facebook Live. Uh, I'm not sure if it was televised live anywhere, Kartik. I don't, I don't know if you, if you caught it on television at all. Um, I was actually, so disinterested that I was unaware of the announcement until I watched ESPN FC that night. So, no, I did not catch it. Yeah, so it, it looks like it's a slam dunk, at least from the U.S. angle. I mean, Grant Wall and everyone's saying, like, ah, oh, I mean, this is it. The U.S. has got it in terms of uh, U.S., Mexico, and Canada uh, hosting the 2026 World Cup. We'll have to wait and see the, the announcements. Well, U.S. But I think... I think it's unfortunate, though, because then you're going to go a minimum of 24 years before bringing a World Cup back to Western Europe. Uh, Germany 2006 was the last one. And the TV times for watching games that are played in, we saw this with Brazil. We saw that we're going to see this. Russia is, is okay, right? Russia and South Africa are, are okay as far as the timings, but we, Qatar might be okay. But the TV timings for bringing a, uh, this tournament back to the, to North America and how it affects the Western European market, which is the biggest television market for this sport is, uh, I think of concern. Nobody wants to talk about it on this side of the Atlantic right. because they, they have their own agenda. But, um, I, I also am very disappointed that there only will there there won't be a semifinal game at Stade Azteca, Stadio Stadio Azteca. So essentially, this is a, a U.S. World Cup. Yeah. So out of the eighty games, and and we had a previous World Cup um, uh, episode where we talked about what how the impact of the TV rights of the World Cup for a forty eight team World Cup would have on television and the viewing experience. Uh, so go back into the archives, you'll see that. But it's going it's going to be eighty games. Uh, 60 of those games will play, be played in the U.S., uh, 10 in Canada and 10 in uh, Mexico under the plan. And uh, from the quarterfinal stages onwards, all the games will, play, will be played in the United States. So a lot of outrage from um, Mexican fans in terms of um, the lack of high-profile games uh, and also the lack of um, uh, number of games, too. Yeah, it's a shrewd political move by Sunil Gulati and the U.S. Soccer Federation. They're very shrewd politically, right? They buddied up with Bladder. They got the TV deal with some from the World Cup rights previously, uh, cutting NBC out of it. That took some complicity from FIFA. And now they're going to apparently be a slam dunk to get this 2026 World Cup. Uh, they play the political game really well, but there's no um, tangible push for reform because there are too many. I mean, there's just too much scrutiny, not enough scrutiny scrutiny on the U.S. Soccer Federation, I'm disappointed in the media's inability to really scrutinize why the U.S. Soccer Federation sends out solicitation emails like they're a political candidate or a, a nonprofit that's that's curing cancer uh, to, 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 to ask for money for their development fund after this World Cup announcement when they're awash in cash as it is and we haven't seen any tangible results from their development fund. It's almost like they're just pulling at the purse strings of supporters. It's um, it, it, it's much more expensive to be a supporter of this sport here than it is in, in England, for example. Unless you support Arsenal, of course, then you're paying ridiculous ticket prices. Well, that's the worry, Kartik, right? Cause, because, I mean, every, every, I'm sure FIFA's looking at this and going, okay, this is going to be a cash cow. A huge cash cap. Yes. I mean, it's going to make the 1994 World Cup look like nothing in terms of, and that was the most profitable World Cup that FIFA's ever had. This one, in terms of even ticket prices, you look at El Clasico Miami, ticket prices averaging about 400 to $500. 
for the cheap seats. <laughs> I mean, so you're looking at this, and, and I'm sure that uh, Galati and, and the Mexican Federation, the Canadian Federation, are saying, okay, we can have prices. I mean, increase ticket prices with the sheer number of games and the sheer number of stadiums. That this is going to be, this is going to bring FIFA, which they're, I mean, the, last year I think they lost 350 million dollars. Um, this is going to put, put FIFA back on track to, to be a, a, a more successful uh, revenue gener- generating uh, f- uh, federation in, in the future. Yeah, I, I guess uh, that that's the way of looking at it from FIFA's perspective. But there seems to be, and, and this se- this is this goes back, and I don't want to sound like one of these conspiracy theorists on Twitter, but there seems to be a real autonomy which U.S. soccer is able to operate in because they generate so much revenue for FIFA and have played the political game so well, which. Uh, hats off to Sunil Galati. I mean, he's existing in, in this, this, uh, this fishbowl of world, world football, world soccer, and he's navigated the choppy waters, uh, about as well as you could. So one more thing to mention about this, and that is that, um, basically this is the best, uh, business deal ever done, probably in the history of television broadcasting for soccer, in terms of Fox getting the rights to the 2026 World Cup, uh, without having to go through a, a bidding process. Uh, and at the same time, it's probably the worst business deal ever done with the, in the soccer TV, TV rights business for FIFA to essentially hand over the 2026 World Cup rights uh, in the United States to Fox Sports, again, without any uh, bidding process. And the reason that this happened, just for background for listeners that um, haven't he- heard us talk about this, uh, the 2020, uh, 2022 uh, World Cup in Qatar uh, once the decision was uh, to move that from the uh, summer to the winter, Fox threatened to sue FIFA. And at that point, um, FIFA uh, compromised and said, okay, all right, all right 2022 is still going to be in the wintertime, but we'll go ahead and give you the 2026 uh, rights uh, without having to go through a bidding process, which if, if it was a bidding process, imagine how much how much TV revenue can't take uh, – whether it's NBC or ESPN or, I mean, Turner Sports. Imagine the 2026 World Cup and how much revenue that could have generated for FIFA from TV rights for a, uh, for a tournament of 80 games hosted in North America. Oh, I completely agree. I just think that FIFA must have had some inkling when they made this decision, something they have not done for the television broadcasters in Western Europe, by the way, who are facing the same dilemma. Uh, although you, you could argue the winter months, uh, there's a difference in the United States because of the amount of sports competition. I guess that was Fox's argument. But in Western Europe, you're displacing them from their, their domestic leagues, etc. So there is an impact on, uh, and then they're losing valuable summer programming uh, when their leagues are out of season based on moving the tournament. But uh, I have to assume that FIFA had some inkling that 2026 would be in the United States when they did that. Uh, I still think it's a bad deal for them and a great deal for Fox, but uh, I can't think that they just handed 2026 out over without considering the fact that it might be and probably would be in the United States. Now, I know there had been some talk of China and hope of that China would be ready. That looks like it'll be 2030 now, but there had to be some thought that it might be the United States at that point. Yeah, I would imagine so too, definitely. So, Kartik, Champions League, uh, what did you catch and what did you see and what's, what's your thoughts about uh, the, the analysis that you saw? Uh, on uh, on this announcement? Oh, no, no, the, the, the UEFA Champions League in terms of uh, the midweek games. Uh, well, I mean, the analysis was mostly about the um, the, the, the 
explosions around the Dortmund team bus. And Fox did very well. We get Derek Ray on, uh, who was at the stadium uh, at the uh, signal. And I never get the sponsor right now. Um, Iduna Stadium, right? It's a, um, the um, but was there uh, on site, so they had him both halftime and post game. He was there obviously for VT. He wasn't calling the match for Fox, but they were able to get Derek Ray, who's one of the most familiar voices and most credible voices in U.S. soccer media, on to talk about the situation. And then he was on ESPN FC later that night, or actually not much later, 6 p.m. Eastern, to talk about it as well. And um, there seems to be a general sense, uh, and Thomas Tuchel furthered it with his post-game comments on Wednesday, that uh, UEFA once again is is being selfish, and also the 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 fixture congestion, which no one seems to want to do anything to solve, uh, puts you in a position where you have to play a game the next day, less than twenty four hours later, if you're in a position of, of Borussia Dortmund, uh, because you have so many fixtures ahead and UEFA is not going to be flexible in rescheduling these matches. And we've seen this a couple of times where there've been weather delays or some other uh, power outage bomb scare that have delayed matches in UEFA competitions. And they have just essentially bumped it by a day and not had the teams travel again, not have to reschedule fixtures. And, this was a pretty serious thing. Uh, if those of you who are focused on the football and are not thinking about uh, the implication of a bomb blast by a team bus, I, I just, when I first heard the rescheduled date, I'm for some reason mentally, I'm thinking we're in March and said, okay, that's good. They're giving them a couple weeks and then maybe they'll put the first leg, the second leg, what was scheduled as the second leg in Monaco will happen before the scheduled first leg, but that's fine. You know, that it's, it's, it's not, uh, at this point where the quarterfinals, it's not the round of 16 where, uh, home, home and away in the quarterfinals is determined by draw, where it's home and away in the round of 16 is determined by who won their group and who, who was the second place for sure of their group. So it doesn't really matter who plays first at home. Um, and then I realized it was the next day. Yeah. <laughs> they rescheduled the match for the next day. I was, I was flabbergasted and, uh, then saw the coverage was similar. And then Tuchel, the, after the match, or actually before the match and after the match on Wednesday made it very clear what, um, uh, what, 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 what was, uh, the emotional toll it had taken on his squad and how, uh, Unfair it was for him to uh, have to send his squad out the next day and play. Now, the big question is, will UEFA fine him? Will UEFA suspend him? Um, let's hope they don't, but I have a feeling they might. Yeah, the Tuchel incident, uh, or his, his uh, feedback, um, or comments, basically. To me, at least, Tuchel should be speaking to uh, BVB, the club. So according to UEFA... Uh, they they had discussions with uh, Dortmund and they kind of agreed, okay, we'll play the game tomorrow. Now, it sounds like Tuchel wasn't involved in those discussions. But I think taking a couple of steps back, Kartik, I think this is something definitely that UEFA t- needs to take a look at in terms of the, the way that the, these matches are rescheduled and the rush to judgment, the rush to reschedule a game at such short notice. I know from a television point of view and from a revenue point of view, uh, it's uh, sponsorships, uh, to say the least. It's incredibly important um, to go ahead and uh, kind of try and get these games back on as soon as possible. But we're living in a day and age where the, the investigation is still going on. We still don't know. I mean, the suspect that they detained has been, I, I believe, cleared. So there's still a lot of question marks about exactly what this is and what happened. 
during the coverage on Fox, and it was uh, it's a difficult position for Fox because I mean you never expect something like this to happen. But in talking to Winaldo, when 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 Winaldo was on set uh, talking, he mentioned he says ah this this game there's no way they're going to be able to play this for for the next week. They're going to have to reschedule it for next week. And then like what post match we we found out or was it halftime? I can't remember of uh, that match. It was halftime, yeah. Half time, we find okay, it's going to be rescheduled for for uh, for tomorrow for the Wednesday game. So, so I think UEFA needs to take a look at these types of incidents and things like this and say, okay, in terms of rescheduling games, we need to kind of have the player safety and security and, and the fans' safety and security in mind. And rather than to rush and play the game the next day, maybe there's a way in the schedule we can look at perhaps giving some more time to allow for proper investigation so that we can take it, take it, take it, whether it's security or whatever it takes to make sure that these games are played um, in the best way possible, in the safest way, way possible. This one, th- this one, Kartik was an interesting one for me because I think actually Fox did a much better job on this one. Uh, the news, so the, the pre-game coverage on Tuesday for UEFA Champions League started at two o'clock Eastern time. News started trickling through on Twitter at about one fifty Eastern time. So there was a ten-minute block, uh, which is not much time when you're on television, in terms of trying to figure out okay what is happening because the first uh, reports was that um, the bus was late, and then there's other reports on Twitter saying that uh, there'd been um, a an accident, and then and then and then there was a, a report of explosion. And slowly but surely, it was, it was before two o'clock, but slowly but surely, information started uh, coming out uh, from sources in Germany, uh, most of it from Bild, um, the, um, the newspaper, that uh, there had been an incident and it involved the team bus and had been an, an explosion. So Rob Stone, starting off the two o'clock uh, pregame show, which he did a great job, kind of said, okay, there's a, there's a developing story, here's what we know, here's what's happening. Um, it was interesting, Carter, cause it, and it's, it's a tough spot to be in, but it was interesting. Fox was probably about five to ten minutes behind the news coverage. So the news coverage, mostly on social media, mostly on Twitter, was kind of revealing different things. And about five minutes later, Fox would then kind of bring uh, the, the actual TV viewers up to speed on what was happening. Now, if you taped this game and watched it later that day and watched the, pre, the, the actual pregame, Later in the day, it probably had had made no difference to you. But if you're watching it live, as as is often the case, as as is almost always the case, with developing stories, social media oftentimes is the better source to go to to get the information as it's breaking, rather than tele- television. And in this case too, Fox really had no feet on the streets. They had no 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 contacts really in in Germany. Um, that were working with Fox Sports or giving them information. So they were just having to rely on, I think, what they were seeing on Twitter also, and then just re- relaying the information. But again, about five or ten minutes later, then actually uh, happened. Yeah, and again, props to them. I think they reacted quickly. They wanted to verify those news sources. It's difficult always for a sports anchor like a Rob Stone to transition into news coverage. We've seen Jim McKay did it from the Olympics in 72, and we've seen uh, Al Michaels did it during the 1989 World Series on ABC. We've seen uh, 
because of uh, what happened this summer at the Euros, 2016 Euros, ESPN's anchors. But Bob Lee was one of them. He kind of has a, a newsy background, if you will. So it might be easier for him. He was able to transition to it. But also Steve Bauer and Mike Tirico over the summer of 2016 at the Euros. Uh, it was a difficult spot for Rob Stone, and I think he did very, very well. Uh, they got... Um, uh, they got the kind of information that they needed verified by news sources and were able to report accurately. Uh, they were able to get Derek Ray on the horn from the Vice or whatever it's called now, Signal Idiana Park. Um, and they were able to really kind of do good wraparound coverage of the news event of the day. Uh, that doesn't take away from the fact that, uh, unfortunately the wrong decisions were made. I think, uh, Fox has to be careful in how they critique them as a UEFA rights holder, but they critique them pretty, pretty hard. And maybe they're, they feel like because they've lost the rights, they can be a little more critical. Right. Who knows if that played into it? But I, I certainly think that they were, uh, um, they, they were very critical on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, they had a, a different studio. Well, they had the same studio team, but they'd swapped in, uh, Friedel went and did a game, right? He did the, uh, the, uh, uh the well, Madrid game. Yeah. Uh, the Real Madrid game. Yeah. yeah. The Bayern Madrid game. So they brought Wallace into the studio and they were, um, they were all kind of aghast about, uh, that. Now, uh, transitioning to, to game coverage, I think, um, speaking of Wallace, he didn't seem very impressed by Bayern's performance, felt like Madrid, Real Madrid, even before the sending off of Javi Martinez, was able to um, take the game to Bayern once Vidal missed that penalty, which would have made it 2-0. I tend to agree with that analysis, uh, but he was very, very hard on Bayern, uh, saying, essentially, this is this is what we have now come to see for them at this sort of stage where they've come up against a Real Madrid or a Barcelona in the Champions League in recent years. Yeah, I, I was on the other channel, uh, Kartik, I was on FS2. Uh, so I was watching, uh, well, f- first of all, of, of course, the Dortmund-Monaco um, game, which was a good game, really, really entertaining to watch. But the earlier 12.45 one, and then I stayed on that channel and watched the uh, Atleti against Le- uh, Leicester game. And in that match, it, I mean, to me, it was, actually, it was really interesting to hear Christian Miles as the host of that show. And... Um, Great atmosphere at the Vicente Calderon and uh, an entertaining t- game to watch. It was uh, low scoring. I mean, Atleti getting the 1-0 uh, victory, but uh, that may or may not be enough to get them through to the next round. We'll have to wait and see. All right, Kartik, this transition. So uh, so buying tickets to sports events and concerts can be way too complicated, but there is a, a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With its seamless uh, mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, this summer, of course, there's ICC games. Uh, there's also a bunch of other friendlies, clubs and, and, and national teams coming from all the way around the world into the United States, uh, including my team, Swansea. So recently, I've been looking at uh, SeatGeek to look for tickets for Swansea City's game against Philadelphia Union, which I'm thinking about going to. Um, and the app experience is really simple and easy to use. Uh, it's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. And SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for, the, for your buck... Uh, SeatGeek grades every single ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. 
plus every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Um, plus, with SeatGeek, best of all, um, my listeners get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, uh, either on Android or iTunes or uh, iOS, and enter promo code WSTPOD today. And that's one word, WSTPOD, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, in terms of TV and streaming news, um, some good news for uh, some fans of uh, Premier League uh, uh, clubs in the United States. Some really good news uh, for Premier League fans uh, that uh, the Chelsea Spurs game is going to be the, the FA Cup semifinal uh, in, in a few weeks. It's going to be televised on Fox over the air network. Uh, we see now several matches in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Bayern versus Bayer uh, from the Bundesliga, Orlando City versus Los Angeles Galaxy from Major League Soccer, and then uh, now Chelsea Spurs from the FA Cup on Fox over the air. So uh, there's always a mystery where these FA Cup games are going to pop up. It will be on Fox over the air, and maybe that's a... Uh, that's an attempt to keep the rights. Who knows? Maybe they're trying to give it more exposure as the rights are up, and we've talked about this in the past on past shows. Yeah, and, and then the other semifinal too, Manchester City against Arsenal. is going to be an FS1 on the Sunday, uh, which I forgot, actually, that Arsenal's in the FA Cup semifinal. So, I mean, Wenger could win this one, Kartik, and get it through to the final, and, and everything's all, all good. Well, not really, but... Anyway, um, also, speaking of Fox Sports... Um, there's been a lot of, um, con- well, actually a lot of confusion really about uh, the rights to Copa Libertadores and uh, Co- uh, Copa Sudamerica, Copa Sudamericana. Sorry, um, what's happened is that um, those games originally were going to be on Fox Soccer to Go. They had the listings on the website. Um, they showed earlier rounds of the tournament, and all of a sudden, those uh, links have been and listings have been removed from the Fox website. So now there's a lot of confusion because this week there's been a bunch of uh, Copa Lib games. None of them have been shown and nobody seems to know exactly what's going on. Now, one of my sources um, said that uh, Fox is in discussions uh, about the rights. So it's up in the air. So we don't know if Fox is going to re- keep those rights or sublicense them to someone else. Or but it sounds like there's some discussions or disagreements or negotiations going on behind the scenes. Unfortunately, it puts the soccer fan, the average soccer fan, uh, in, in a, in a state where we don't know what's going on. And, um, there's no information coming out of Fox, uh, in regards to this. So, so I'll keep on looking at the story and trying to, uh, contact my sources to see if I can find out more information. But that's all we know so far, which is basically that, uh, Copa Lib and, uh, Copa Sudamericana games are not on US television or streaming right this second. But, um, hopefully that'll change soon. Now, Kartik, what about Twitter? There's some big news, uh, possibly, uh, over there. Yeah, there's talk now that Twitter, which has been showing these kind of live events, streaming these live events at very high quality, I have to say, both news events and sporting events now for the last uh, six months or so, uh, wants to uh, do deals with the pay TV companies in order to allow TV subscribers to authenticate with Twitter in order to watch TV programming on Twitter. Um, they've speak, spoken to BT and Sky about this in the UK and ESPN in the US. So BT and Sky in the UK would give you potentially the opportunity to watch uh, Premier League games on the go if you're in the UK and you're a subscriber to Sky. 
or a subscriber to BT. So that's a, that's a very interesting development, very uh, potentially a massive development in the way we consume sports and a way for these rights holders who have, um, as sports television numbers decline, as people cut cords, have probably overpaid for properties, they get some return on their investment. It's also controversial, Kartik, because when you think about it, so, so in the example of what Twitter wants to do, if you're a Comcast subscriber, uh, they want to allow Twitter wants to do a deal with Comcast so that if you log into Twitter, you can authenticate to prove that you're a Comcast subscriber entering in your Comcast login details and then be able to watch uh, live programming um, through Twitter of your Comcast you know, programming. So that could include you mean, Premier League matches from NBCSN or you name it. Uh, or maybe it's limited to certain things, but it is controversial because, I mean, a lot of these companies, like NBC as one example, has paid tons of money, I mean, millions of dollars for the rights, uh, to these games to show them on television, to control the environment where those are being watched. But also at the same time, in terms of streaming, having the streaming rights to this to be able to, you, know, you have to go to NBC Sports app uh, to watch those games if you want to see the streaming. But in this instance, it would be Twitter kind of doing a deal with a Comcast or, a, you know, a DirecTV or whoever it is to circumvent, uh, NBCSN and, um, and then the, the leagues too are going to be looking at this going like, wait a second. This is a deal where we should be getting a cut of this revenue. Uh, if it does go through from Twitter, it shouldn't be Twitter doing the deal directly with a Comcast. So it, it get, it muddies the water because streaming, is is not so simple. It's not just like a, a thing you plug into the back of your TV, like with a TV cable or, or satellite uh, cable. Uh, it can take many different forms, and this gets into a, a interesting area. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Now, speaking of streaming, uh, a little bit more news about YouTube TV. So we mentioned last week that they've launched in five cities nationwide, and slowly but surely they'll be uh, rolling out to other cities. Uh, during the rest of the year and probably beyond. Um, so while the unlimited DVR is a great feature, what we found out is one of the downsides is that uh, is that if you have a show that's available on demand, so for example, it could be a Premier League game, it could be, I don't know, Southampton against Manchester City and it's available on demand uh, through, through I guess, I don't know, through... through um, through YouTube TV and they have have it there, is that viewers won't be able to skip ads even if they recorded the episode on DVR. So, for example, if you did go to YouTube TV and you're in one of those five cities and you recorded Man City against Southampton on your DVR, I thought, okay, great, I'm going to watch it on Sunday or Saturday night perhaps. Um, if there was an on-demand version available through NBC, through YouTube TV, you'd have to sit and actually sit through all the commercials and you wouldn't be able to skip it. So definitely a neg negative there, but uh, we'll have to wait and see if uh, YouTube uh, keeps that as is or, or changes that in the future. And then, uh, Kartik, last but not least, um, some news from La Liga. Yeah, we reported last week on on World Soccer Talk, the big things on La Liga, being sports in Espanol, 16% increase, in viewership, uh, and since we published that post, there's been another big ratings uh, bonanza uh, with with two games this past weekend, which we'll get into in the next segment. Yeah, speaking of the next segment, uh, TV ratings. So, uh, Kartik, I'll, I'll give it over to you first to see if there's any numbers here that you want to cherry pick. I have a long list 
in our show notes, but any numbers that jump out at you that you want to talk about or that interest you, either high or low? Yeah, of course, most of these games, I mean, every single match we talked about last week on World Soccer Talk involved Real Madrid and Barcelona, and this, the same was the case this weekend. But I, I think it's it's interesting to see which games of Real Madrid and Barcelona get higher numbers. So we saw games that involved Atleti or involved Villarreal getting higher numbers uh, than games that would be against Celta Vigo, for instance, or Deportivo. But they're all getting good numbers. That's the thing. And it's come at a time when ratings for soccer and ratings for sports in general are declining almost across the board uh, everywhere else. I mean, uh, more steep declines in some places than others. But these climbs are coming against the tide of sports television, which is, to me, very, very telling about the the branding and the uh, value of the brands of Real Madrid and Barcelona in the United States. Very underrated among mainstream sports uh, media and pundits who uh, may have an inherent anti-soccer bias when they cover things. Yeah, that's the one thing about being sports, though, too, is that it's, uh, personally I get tired of people making excuses about, uh, ah, I don't have being sports, so I can't watch that game. But, uh, I mean, Real Madrid, the numbers for that and the numbers for Barcelona games are, are, have been high, have been over uh, half a million for, on average, probably m- most games. So those people who are really interested in watching Real Madrid or Barcelona, they know where to watch those matches. Now, what it doesn't include is the illegal streaming numbers, which probably would, would be through the roof. But um, being sports, I mean, it is, it is in, what, 22 million homes. It's fairly easy to, to get if you don't get it through your cable or satellite company there's tons of legal streaming options where you can watch it actually sometimes in better quality than through tv um but looking at the numbers kartik one number that uh, is not in the list that i just got um this morning and we'll have all the numbers for all of the games uh from the past week uh, on worldsoccertalk.com but one of the numbers to throw out there is uh, chivas against puebla that was on Saturday. That was on Univision. Um, and that one got uh, 1.2 million viewers. So again, Liga MX still number one in the United States by far, uh, running away with it, um, there in terms of their numbers. The, um, some of the other numbers caught at the point that, that jumped out that the U.S. women's team against Russia in the second friendly that they played, uh, which was on ESPN. Uh, that one got 384,000 viewers. Uh, that was uh, a mid-afternoon game, uh, 2 o'clock Eastern to 4 o'clock Eastern. Uh, we got Hull City against Manchester City on NBCSN. Uh, that one had 307,000 viewers. Uh, De Classica, so we talked about it before, Bayern Munich against uh, Dortmund on FS1. Uh, that one had a com- combined total of 261,000, which by Bundesliga standards is very good. Um in comparison to other leagues, not so much for the most high-profile game uh, of the season. But uh, what's your thoughts on that one? No, I think that's a good number, relatively speaking, compared to what we've seen from Bundesliga. Really poor numbers across the board. So I was afraid that that would be 150,000, 125,000. So it was higher, and, but it was going head-to-head with a, a Premier League game on NBC, which seems to have been impacted by... Uh, that game going on at the same time. I mean, I'll admit, I, I was watching the Bayern, uh, Dortmund game until it got out of hand and, and I switched, but, uh, I watched less of Chelsea Bournemouth than I would normally at 1230 NBC over the year start for the Premier League. 
Yeah, I watched mostly the Chelsea-Bournemouth game, as mentioned, but uh, it, it was unfortunate that both games were on at the same time, which made it very difficult. And actually, there was other, I think, La Liga games. I think uh, Sevilla was on at the same time, too. Um, and the Sevilla numbers, I think, were pretty good, too. 150,000 for Sevilla against Deportivo. Um, so so strong numbers from BN Sports, definitely. Now, moving on, Kartik, to the next segment, uh, listener mailbag. We've got a bunch of uh, emails and comments uh, this week from listeners, uh, which we really appreciate. Um, some of them are pretty long, so I'm going to kind of um, probably skip a couple of sections on it. Uh, the shorter you make it, the more succinct, the better, if, if at all possible. But the first email is from uh, listener Dave Brunk. And he says, Kartik, he says, a great in-depth analysis on this week's pod, or last week's pod. The MLS and Bundesliga uh, issues seem to have a common denominator, Fox Sports. Many friends of mine that are diehard American football and baseball fans prefer to watch games not on Fox over a Fox broadcast. Uh, your comments on prior week's uh, pods regarding the 40-minute pregame for USA against Honduras are a great example of how they are as a network and they just don't get it. Too bad the TV numbers you have available do not show how often the, their coverage is seen on mute. Uh, he says, in regards to Major League Soccer, I, I, agree, I agree that the schedule and season structure are problematic for the growth. Living in Houston, we avoid the summer month games as much as possible as we don't find it enjoyable to melt into our seats. It does appear that the league tried to schedule fewer home games during the summer this year, but I think that's a good thing. No one wants to see Seattle or Portland park the bus for 90 minutes, as they usually do in a Houston summer evening. And then he says, lastly, he says, uh, taking more advantage of regional rivals may be a solution. Similar to Chris's suggested uh, two-conference winner-title game, perhaps it could be expanded to divisions similar to Major League Baseball, where uh, the rivalry, uh, albeit one-sided lately, between Houston and uh, San Francisco uh, could have greater meaning. Any thoughts on that one, Kartik? Um, no, not, not, not really. I mean, I, I think that, uh, as far, as far as what I've, uh, what I, I found is that, um, in, in general, Fox is, um, and, and maybe there's a, um, there's a, um, a similar, um, just a similar view among soccer fans to where a lot of times we're not giving Fox a shot, right? We're, we're, we've, we prejudge them, uh, now that's not without good reason, but there are times that they, they come through like they did on Tuesday with their coverage of, of the Dortmund situation. But, um, I think all too often we're, we're, we're just kind of reflexively giving stereotypical views of Fox, which they've earned through the years. Don't get me wrong. And, and I think you and I would both agree with that. But, uh, there are some small baby steps they make that we need to acknowledge at times that are improvements. Yeah, yeah, definitely baby steps. Uh, definitely the production quality in terms of the look and feel of um, the, the, I mean, the, the visual aspects of their coverage have been, I mean, light years ahead of what uh, they had before. But of course, with a much, much greater budget than they had before. Though I will go back to what you said, though, Kartik, about um, how well they did with the the whole Dortmund thing. Is the saving grace was Derek Ray. If they did not have Derek Ray, have a Derek Ray there who was able to, you know, be on the phone to give him kind of a, a live update, um, which happens 90 minutes, actually more than 90 minutes after the incident happened, they would have been screwed, basically. They, they would have had nothing. So, so thank God for Derek Ray because he was able to kind of bail them out. Um, he also did a post-match, uh, after the Juve Barcelona game. So probably about 11 o'clock, uh, his time in Germany to give some more analysis. Uh, as you mentioned, he was on ESPN FC that night. The next morning, he was on Talk Sport. So, 
he was definitely there to share his uh, uh, observations and what happened. Uh, but thank God, though. And, and that's something, too. I mean, <laughs> with Fox, I mean, they, they've downplayed uh, Derek Ray so much. I mean, to me, it's at least especially, we've talked about this last week, on the BT Sports commentaries where he is going to be commentating on a game that um, Fox is using the BT Sport feed. Play it up. I mean, Derek Ray is going to be a, a commentator rather than like five seconds before the game starts. Commentators today are Derek Ray and Don Hutchinson. Or whoever, Owen Hargreaves. Look, look at what NBC does every Monday when they have Martin Tyler uh, calling a game. Or if it's John Champion, who's also known in the American market from his work with ESPN and also just being around for uh, so many games through the years and being so good at what he does, that they bring those guys in on the pregame show, give them an N- N- NBC flag mic, yep. and basically make it appear like Martin Tyler is calling the game for NBC. And yep. He'll have this nice little chat with Rebecca Lowe and... And they engage him and they, they promote the fact that Martin Tyler is on their network, even though he's not contracted to NBC. John Champion's on their network, even though we know in this country he's contracted to ESPN, not to NBC. Uh, Fox needs to do the same thing with Derek Ray. Yeah, well, one good example of that, Kartik, is that uh, every week uh, my team goes ahead and asks NBC Sports for the list of commentators. They're going to be ha- uh, commentating games for every Premier League match. And usually Friday afternoon, we post that on the website on, on worldsoccertalk.com. In the past, we've asked Fox Sports for the same, same thing too and said, hey, for the Bundesliga games or for any of these games, please let us know ahead of time who the commentators are and we'd be happy to kind of post those because it does make a difference uh, to especially the hardcore soccer fans. They want to know who the commentators are. And sometimes that can mean a difference between somebody not watching the match and actually watching the match. If they know that Derek Ray and Owen Hargreaves are commentating on, say, I don't know, Munchen, uh, Gladbach game at the weekend, they might say, you know what, I'm going to w- watch that game instead of, I mean, I don't know, a Premier League game because I love Derek Ray and he makes such a difference. He's such a great commentator. But, and- it makes a difference with me. I, I won't, I won't lie. If I, if I'm flipping and the Premier League game is not interesting and, uh, and, and I hear Derek Ray's voice, I don't know that he's calling the game beforehand, but I hear his voice more often than not. I stay at yeah. least for five or 10 minutes, me too. maybe for the rest of the match. Me too. Definitely. So moving on to the next uh, comment. This is posted on our Facebook page. This is from Timothy Matthew. He says, uh, great podcast, uh, last week, just listened to it. And you guys did a fantastic job of tackling what really is a multi-layered problem with MLS TV ratings. There's no easy fix. And I hope Don Garber and the powers that be in Major League Soccer see this and address it. Otherwise, it's going to continue to have low ratings and will never be seen as a legitimate big league sport in this country. Just some thoughts on how that might change or could change. Uh, The single entity structure of the league has ensured its survival, but it's created a real uh, homogeneous uh, brand of soccer. Although this would require a leap of faith on the league's part, I think it's uh, about time that the league looks at maybe phasing that structure out, let teams that have proven success uh, in major markets out of some of the contractual strings and, and that single entity structure brings, let those owners negotiate their own TV contracts. That's not going to be an easy ball to unwind, but I think going forward it needs to happen. Also, the need, the league needs to promote some of its competitions outside of Major League Soccer more. It galls me, as an American soccer fan from the grassroots up, how Major League Soccer treats the, the U.S. Open Cup. It's a unique competition in this country, and it doesn't nearly get the, the exposure it deserves. If the league would give that competition the level of attention it deserves, I think it could go, could go miles in repairing some bad feelings 
uh, other US soccer fans have about the league. The CONCACAF Champions League as well uh, needs more promotion as a competition. What's your thoughts on that one, Kartik? Yeah, I could have written that myself. Uh, thank you for that commentary. That's that. Those kind of sum up my view. Yes, single entity. I think has gotten the league on a secure footing after we're twenty three years into this now. So time to take those training wheels off. Uh, well, twenty twenty two seasons in, but twenty three years in from the business standpoint. Uh, time to take the training wheels off. Time to maintain some degree of protection for clubs that are on less solid footing, like a Chicago or a DC United, while you. Uh, allow Seattle and Orlando and Atlanta and Portland to harness their full potential. Completely agree. Uh, there is a homogeneous form of soccer, which is, uh, has been uh, created. I, I agree. I think uh, I think if I have to be honest with you, though, I mean, a lot of fans look at MLS and they just think MLS is, is the most evil thing. I think USL as a second division, second and now going back into third division, has created a more kind of cookie cutter franchise model than even MLS has. And that's a critique I have of USL. I enjoy USL. And I think that there is some need to create stability at the lower division levels that have, that have uh, made them homogeneous. But even their television coverage and USL productions, uh, if we want to talk about the TV angle of it, is very, very homogeneous, very cookie-cutter. The announcers saying the same things in every game. That's done out of right here in Fort Lauderdale, so I know a lot of the people who work uh, in USL productions. And it's, um, I think MLS's TV coverage, the way Fox and ESPN do spice it up a little bit, is better than uh, from a breaking up the homogeneity, homogeneity factor than uh, USL does. But by any standard, global standard, MLS is a more homogeneous first division than anything else you see in the world. That creates boredom. That creates a lack of interest and a lack of character and identity. American soccer fans that have gravitated to the European game or to Liga MX or uh, the South American game, they uh, they value the individuality of clubs, the um, values associated with football clubs. So single entity doesn't do it for them. And I agree. And those people are not going to watch on television. And then in terms of, I think, just the simple um, unwillingness to promote the U.S. Open Cup, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I gave U.S. soccer props yesterday on Twitter for actually running feature articles on the Open Cup because they generally don't do that. Yesterday was the first round draw, and people came back at me saying, gosh, you're, you're, you're applauding them for the bare minimum. And those people were right because I've come to the, to the point where my expectation is they'll just do the draw and that's it. There's no supporting um, coverage around it. There's no promotion of it. Uh, Josh Hakala and his co- the cup.us site, which actually um, U.S. soccer found uh, uh, found offense with a couple of years ago, they do far more to promote the U.S. Open Cup than anything U.S. soccer does. Um, and then you talk about CONCACAF Champions League. I think MLS doesn't want to promote that until they win it the way that they should. And uh, even finding the games last week, uh, Facebook Live, if you're in Canada, you saw the Vancouver game on TSN, but finding the games last week was a little bit of a, of a debacle. FS2, you, you're not, never know, sure where to find it. So I, I agree with everything in that uh, that uh, um, letter to us. Well done. The uh, the next one is uh, from email, and this is from Eric Boyer. And he says, uh, first off, I love the, the new format of the show, dealing with TV ratings. Uh, truly fascinating. I have a few questions for you. So we'll go through these, if we have time, one through one, uh, one by one. He says, are the viewership numbers pulled from all devices, cable boxes, streaming, etc.? Okay, so the, in the answer to that, no, it's uh, pulled from television, but it's a, a sample. It's from Neil, Nielsen. So Nielsen does uh, sampling. So from television, they might take, say, 
a thousand or a few thousand uh, viewers, and that's representative of uh, the number of viewers nationwide that are watching that particular game. So it's not devices. I know Nielsen is working on trying to find, figure out ways to pull these numbers together to have streaming uh, and television and, and, and any other methods uh, together to, for a more uh, comprehensive uh, number. But at this time, the streaming numbers, even though it's gaining in popularity, are, are much, much smaller than television. So television still uh, rules the world in terms of, of that, in terms of large number of viewers. Uh, the second one, he says, um, Fox Soccer Plus, what happened to ordering this channel on DirecTV? Uh, I'm also a AFL fan, and out of the, an out-of-the-season message appears when trying to add it to my cable programming. Have you heard anything about this? Uh, I haven't, Kartik, have you? No, I, I'm actually quite surprised and uh, disappointed to hear that. I hope that that's not uh, the case of them actually dropping the channel. Now, we've talked about week after week they're going through this transition of moving ATT U-verse customers to, um, and I used to get Fox Soccer Plus both through DirecTV and then when I switched to U-verse and then I was switched back to DirecTV, as I mentioned on the last show, I had Fox Soccer Plus until I finally dropped it a few years ago on both. And um, that would be very disappointing because I think um, that is just another cut of access point for games uh, in the United States for people on television. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'll, I'll check into that and see if we can find out some more information. And he says, um, have there been any talks about adding an English SAP option to Liga MX games? Um, yes, but uh, right now Univision's uh, stance is that uh, for English language, uh, they, they've been acquiring the English language rights to Liga MX games in the U.S., but uh, one game a weekend, usually on Facebook Live, is what they'll show with English commentary with uh, Nico Cantor. Uh, that's it. So as of SAP, I've asked them that, that too. Is any plans in the future to add that as, as an option to SAP? So you can watch Liga MX, but then switch it to, to the uh, English language commentary. Uh, their answer is no, not, not at this time. Next question, Kartik, this one's for you. Any ideas if USL will televise their new third division starting in 2019? I believe they probably will via USL Productions, uh, but I, and by that time, and this is an important aspect of USL Productions because I reported previously that the costs were higher than some clubs anticipated and the production quality hasn't been quite as good. Although that's being fixed. I mean, I, that was two weeks ago and, and I've, I've already seen improvements, uh, in the last, uh, week, week and a half in, in USL streaming games. But, um, I believe the costs will be reduced year after year to the point where I think the D3 teams can buy into USL productions in 2019. Some of the D3 teams will be teams that are playing Division II USL, current USL, now in 2017. And um, I don't know definitively. Um, we, we can ask them. I, I'll, I'll put in the question to uh, USL HQ, but I believe my guess would be, my hunch would be yes. Okay, next one is uh, email from uh, Dana Miner, and he says, uh, she says, sorry, um, last year, MLS reached an agreement with Sky Sports to broadcast a number of games in the UK. Is that agreement still in effect? And if so, do you have any idea how the games are going or how the league was received over there? So I know, like Matt Jones, who's one of our writers, um, often appears um, on WorldSoccerTalk.com. So, uh, so he he's watched a lot of the coverage and he's been impressed by it. Uh, I've watched a couple of the games, so I know Gary Taphouse does a lot of the commentaries. 
Uh, you'll know him from the Premier League matches. So he does it off the monitor, so off off a TV set um, in in a studio in London. So uh, those games are still being shown live uh, in the UK. A lot of the games are New York City FC games. So oftentimes New York City get FC games. Those- and by the way, for MLS fans who aren't aware of the the, the UK TV contracts, when uh, you see New York City FC games starting at 3 p.m. on Sunday on Saturdays, which they often do that's the reason they're coming on sky right after premier league games exactly exactly so so it's doing well as far as um the level of um coverage and uh also being shown in in prime time uk time uh that's going well and from what i understand that there is definitely an increased awareness of major league soccer in the uk now because of that so people are getting into it a lot more uh, I've asked Major League Soccer on several several uh, different times to share any details, any numbers, any any information, uh, any metrics at all from these games. I think it's a good story to tell. I think it's a it's a good uh, piece of information to to share with listeners and 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 readers. Um, and uh, they have said no. So I don't know if those numbers aren't as good as what they think it is, or if it's just it's just because it's me that's asking, or for some other reason. Who knows? But um, they're not willing to share those those numbers, unfortunately. And and I think it's a good story to tell. Not just Sky Sports in the UK, but uh, Major League Soccer is now it's got some international TV deals around the world, and it, it would be interesting to uh, find out what those numbers are. So I think Major League Soccer will announce it whenever they're ready to announce it, and probably through their channels. Next and last question, I believe. Actually, no, no, two more. Sorry. This one is from uh, Clinton Cam through email. In contact, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, I will uh, share that uh, Clinton was really kind of upset about the uh, the Major League Soccer expansion uh, opportunity in St. Louis and how the, the stadium opportunity kind of got voted down by the local um, uh, residents there. Uh, and Clinton asks, while St. Louis has a slim chance... Oh, so, uh, while, while St. Louis has a slim chance on having a potential team in Major League Soccer, how do you see St. Louis coming back from the setback? It's going to be tough. I mean, it, it, it's um, it's disappointing because I think a lot of us sentimentally have wanted a team in St. Louis at the first division level for a long, long, long time. Uh, you have a USL team there. Uh, go out and support that team if you're in St. Louis. And hopefully that, that what happens is that that team gets the level of interest and support that Sacramento has or Cincinnati has or Tampa Bay has uh, or uh, San Antonio has, that it becomes a conversation again. That's the only way it's going to happen at this point. Okay, and the last uh, email is from Anthony Bello, uh, and he says, Hi, guys. Great show last week. I think you guys nailed two things on the head with Major League Soccer. Having the playoffs during the NFL – and the, and the fans only watching their teams. I think one more uh, thing that doesn't help the league is that it starts in March. Uh, most leagues start uh, this season when they have the stage to themselves. There's nothing else in the sports world going on when the Premier League, NFL, or NBA starts. And that gives the fans time to get into the season. Major League Soccer starts in March uh, when most sports fans are watching the uh, March Madness tournament. It's very difficult for a sports league to get any attention during March Madness. I, I, I have to give you personal experience on this. So the very first Miami Fusion game, you remember it well, 1998. 
19 years ago. Uh, uh, yeah, against DC United. I buy tickets for the game, and then the Miami Hurricanes make their first NCAA tournament in 37 years. They've now been regularly, be, you know, fairly regularly been making the tournament these last 19 years. But it was the first time they'd made it in 37 years, and they play on a Friday night against UCLA. If they had won that game, they would have been playing Saturday after, Sunday afternoon, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Honestly, I didn't want to miss the inaugural game, but then it was the first time I wasn't, I didn't know Miami would continue to be good and continue to make the tournament regularly. I thought maybe it's a one-off. They ended up losing in the last seconds to UCLA on Friday night, but uh, that was 1998. Uh, it still happens. Every season, it seems like we're starting. I remember uh, last year going up for the opener in Orlando, 2016, missing the ACC tournament uh, and ACC, uh, ACC tournament and ACC tournament final because of that game, uh, and etc. So that's an issue. And then you have the Masters right after, which not only takes um, a lot of uh, core sports fans away. I think it takes away a lot of your kind of uh, soccer fans that are that are anglicized away. Well, also, uh, the Masters. Well, uh, and uh, also I noticed he was. Go ahead. Also, the journalists though too, can't it? Because I mean, a lot of the journalists, sports journalists, yeah. are focused on on that tournament um, rather than Major League Soccer. Right, and even soccer journalists, even British soccer journalists are uh, tend to be focused on the masters. I can speak for our, our friend and colleague, Simon Evans, who uh, would be forced to cover, not forced to, I mean, would <laughs> willingly cover the masters, but we cover the masters every year. Neil Blackman, who's my co-host on the Yanks are coming podcast covers the masters every year. So there's that element right a few weeks into the MLS season. Also the start of major league baseball. Um, there's not as much overlap with baseball, but there's enough, and particularly the journalists. Uh, but the Masters and NCAA tournament are killers. I mean, absolute killers to where I think this is really the first weekend that MLS will have the attention to itself. Uh, but now you're hitting kind of the end of the season in European leagues. Now, there aren't many title races that are active, but there is one in France that's very active, and there are relegation fights all over the place. So then people then will start really paying attention to Major League Soccer exclusively in May, and lo and behold, you have summer tournaments. Not this year, uh, but in previous years, you'll have the Euros and Copa America. So it's complicated. Uh, yeah, I, I think calendar, I've said this over and over again and get shouted down, particularly from people up north. Calendar is a massive issue for Major League Soccer. And until they shift the calendar, they're not going to reach their full potential on television and in terms of uh, fan interest outside the, the Northeast and, and Midwest. Um, they're not even reaching their full potential in those places, let's face it. Not even close in Chicago and in Boston in particular. But um, I think in the Southeast, it's very difficult to play a season through the summer. And yeah. we'll see what happens in Atlanta this season. But I think Houston, Dallas, and D.C. United would reach greater potential if the calendar were, were realigned. I can, uh, Orlando is, uh, is massive, but maybe it could be even more massive if, it were, if the team were played, the season were played at a different time. And as someone who was the communications officer for the second division league for four seasons, I can tell you we had so many weather delays big, uh, with our teams in Fort Lauderdale, Tampa Bay, uh, the Carolina Railhawks, and Atlanta the silverbacks because of when we our season was when our, our season was on the calendar so and you and i'm sorry i know it's cold you take a winter break like germany does but you will not have as many weather postponements or delays in my opinion if you play on a calendar that's similar to germany's i'm not saying play through like england does break for six weeks maybe break for eight weeks you send minnesota on the road uh you send uh, new england on the road the, the, the really bad weather places uh so to where they don't have a home game for 10 or 12 weeks in a row yeah my my uh solution to all of this content has always been well not always been but lately has been 
rather than east and, east and west conferences, having a northern and southern uh, conferences. And you could have, you mean, mm, the, southern, yeah. the southern teams playing during the winter time, uh, the northern teams take a break, and then the northern teams play during the winter time, um, and then have some type of, you know, I mean, uh, kind of a, a north versus south civil war, <laughs> civil war, kind of a MLS uh, cup final between the two teams, like, the, you know, or whatever it, it may be. But that way, I mean, because when you think about it, weather doesn't go east to west, it goes north, north to south as far as the equator goes. Um, so that, that's my solution. Actually, Timothy, uh, Matthew, who sent in the question through Facebook, did mention one more thing, and he says a good solution would be to move to a apertura clausura model, go to a single table for both Eastern and Western conferences, and at the end of the apertura season, play off, um, play off the top, top two teams in each of the tables, and then do the same at the end of the clausura season. Um, and so on and so forth. So there's, there's solutions out there. I think at this time still, um, MLS is so focused on expansion and sponsorships that it seems that they don't really pay much attention to the counter issues. I, I think they were, they're aware of it, but they're not going to make any changes at this point. They're not going to disrupt anything. They're just going to kind of try to get all of those 28 teams or 30 teams, whoever knows what that final number will be. And then at that point, then do like a reset or, uh, I mean, look at maybe make some changes. But at that point, who knows uh, if it's too late. You mean in terms of uh, TV numbers, but that's a whole story for another time. And actually, we went into that, <laughs> into that in great detail in the last podcast. Uh, let me see. One more thing to mention from Anthony Bello. He said through email, he says, finally, uh, I know you guys weren't happy with the TV ratings for the Manchester City against Liverpool match a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but that one got over a million viewers. He says, all, all in all, the ratings aren't that bad. The match got more viewers than four NHL games that aired in the same time slot on NBC. And he lists, lists all of the, um, actually on NBC, yeah, over the air NBC. So he says the Premier League is beating the NHL. No way are we saying that 10 years ago. The Premier League is getting a million viewers during March Madness. No way are we saying that 10 years ago. He says, I can't wait to see what we're going to uh, be saying 10 years from now. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the uh, Premier League has been consistently beating uh, NHL on NBC, with the exception of Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, so regular season, it's, it's beating it. And those numbers are during March, right? And March Madness was going on. Good point. Uh, I just am concerned that they're stagnant. We haven't really seen the kind of growth in numbers right. that we saw a huge growth in numbers during the uh, league's period on ESPN in that early time slot, and then the first year or two on NBC, and now the year three and year four on NBC, we're seeing a stagnation. But again, that's a good point. It might have to do more with the general downturn in sports TV numbers than anything else. That still was a million viewers, and a million viewers in the middle of March Madness. Great point. So uh, lots of questions and lots of feedback from you listeners. We really appreciate it. Uh, if possible, keep it short and sweet. Uh, but definitely send in those uh, feedback, comments, questions, etc. You can send them in through email at web at worldsoccertalk.com, through Twitter at WSoccerTalk, or through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. All right, Kartik, so our feature topic of the week. This one, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to preview uh, NBC Sports' uh, big weekend this weekend, uh, going to England. For their third trip, a third third year in a row, taking the whole crew, you know, Rebecca, the, the two Robbies, Carl Martino, as well as the uh, the backroom, all the backroom production staff, etc., flying over to England, 
And you had an interview uh, this week, which we're going to uh, play in a few minutes. But it was interesting that Robbie kind of talked about uh, how much work is involved behind the scenes in getting everything coordinated for a big trip like this. Yeah, Robbie Musto sat down and, and talked with me about a, a number of topics. But this was perhaps the most interesting aspect of it is the amount of prep and the amount of production work and pre-production work, I should say, that goes into everything NBC does on the Premier League level. And it's an impressive uh, lesson for those of us who aren't exposed to it on a regular basis. And maybe an important lesson for the competing networks. Uh, maybe the guys from Fox will listen to this and say, hey, maybe we, we, we need to up our game. And, uh, and that's the sort of thing we need to do to satisfy people who watch soccer who are very favorable towards NBC but very critical of Fox. Yeah, so it's three games. I mean, of course, NBC is going to be showing uh, all 10 games across uh, streaming and, and uh, television. But so coverage this weekend will feature on-site studios. You're going to have pitch sides uh, sets also, and then commentary at three of the games. And those three games, are, it's going to be White Hart Lane for the second to last, I think it is, or third to last game at, uh, at White Hart Lane. For yeah, Spurs. I think third to last, yes. Yeah, Spurs against Bournemouth, uh, which at this point, Kartik is a big one in terms of uh, Spurs hoping to close that gap uh, with Chelsea and just put, put the heat on Chelsea and see if they stumble. Um, so that's, that's um, Saturday, the early kickoff, um, 7.38 a.m. Eastern time. Then on Sunday is Old Trafford for Manchester United against Chelsea. Uh, which, if Spurs can get the points on Saturday morning, that puts the pressure on Chelsea on Saturday at Old Trafford, uh, on Sunday at Old Trafford in a massive match there. And then last but not least, then we're moving to Riverside Stadium for the Middlesbrough against Arsenal game on Monday. And again, huge pressure on Wenger, huge pressure on Arsenal going into a game where Borough needs the points desperately to try to f- figure out if they can avoid relegation at this point in the season. Yeah, and uh, Robbie Musto is returning to the Riverside for the first time in 12 years, uh, he said. Uh, You'll hear that in a few minutes. And so it's a a sentimental day for him, an emotional day for him. Lee Dixon will be pitch-side with him. Lee Dixon, who I think has gotten more and more critical of Wenger and what's going on at Arsenal, former Wenger and Arsenal player, of course, uh, for that match. So that should be uh, interesting. I think this entire weekend will be great for viewers and and you know what we talk we're talking about the stagnation of ratings and the competition from la liga uh, bundesliga obviously mls is going to have a game orlando city and uh, los angeles that's on network tv over the air tv this weekend i think nbc doing this this particular weekend is just a great inducement for people to watch the league and watch the coverage studio shows and bumper programming matter nbc has taught us that Uh, If you didn't believe it before, you should believe it now. And they're raising their game to another level when they do this every season. And uh, this weekend, I don't know if it was planned this weekend because they saw what was on the calendar and other leagues. But um, this is the right weekend to do it. And I think it's going to probably boost ratings uh, a wee bit. I mean, there'll be ratings that uh, people who who opt to watch uh, their wraparound coverage rather than uh, watch uh, Leverkusen and Bayern. It'll be people like that. Yeah, it's a tough competition for, for Fox in the Bundesliga. So your favorite Kartik, Steve Bauer, is going to be uh, on pitch side uh, throughout the weekend. Also, Ola White's going to do uh, pitch side too. And uh, then, then also, what else have we got in store? Um, 
yeah, and then Kyle Martino and the two Robbies are going to do, do some commentating. So I believe, uh, well, Robbie talks about which game he's going to commentate. Robbie yeah, he's got so. Spurs, he's got Spurs Mournemouth is what he told me. So, so that'll be interesting to kind of get, uh, have them, uh, take a different, uh, yeah, tactic. so he he did the uh, Man City Chelsea game at Sanford Bridge last year. Musto did, and and I had forgotten that. I actually asked him the question. You'll hear it in a minute about um, missing commentating because he did so much commentary when he was at ESPN, La Liga, and Serie A in particular. And that when he moved to NBC, he was put in the studio and he didn't do any commentary. And he said, "Yeah, I miss it, but I'm not going to lie. But actually." I'm doing a game this weekend. <laughs> so good timing, right? Definitely. On that question and then on that discussion. All right, Kartik. So here's your exclusive interview with Robbie Musto from NBC Sports. NBC Sports is headed for the third straight season to England to be on location. Their studio team of Rebecca Lowe, Robbie Musto, Kyle Martino, and Robbie Earl all headed to Britain this weekend. And we have a chance to sit down and talk to Robbie Musto about the trip and some other issues. Robbie, you're headed back to the Riverside next week as part of NBC's uh, on-location Premier League weekend, uh, something you've done now for three successive years going to the U.K., but first time for you as a commentator back at the Riverside as in, uh, with NBC. Uh, talk about what this will mean for you personally. Well, obviously, it's a special place for me. Um, I was there for 12 years. Um, had a testimonial there, which was a very special day with my family and taking out my boys and my wife onto the onto the pitch for in front of um, nearly twenty thousand for for the game against British Dortmund. Um, and it's just great to go back. I mean, I've been living in the US now for ten years. Uh, I haven't seen a game there for more than ten years. So I saw a few games when I you know retired, and I was still living in the northeast at the time. So you know, you, you kind of keep in touch with people and you see people a little bit. I went to the training ground a few times. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. But this is going to be great. This is going to be great. I'm not, I'm not really one to, to seek attention. Um, and I don't want it, you know, this game, this game is not about me at all, really. It's, it's about Middlesbrough's plight to stay in the league. It's about Arsenal. And there's plenty of storylines going on with Arsenal now. So it's going to be great. I'll see people that I haven't seen for a while. I'll probably hopefully try and meet, bump into the, uh, the owner, Steve Gibson, the chairman of the club. Um, but yeah, it'll be nice to go there and just get a good look at this expertise. Yeah, before we transition to other other things, uh, you bring up Arsenal. We have to talk about it because of when we're recording this, when you're making your trip. Uh, you've been for your four years on NBC and also uh, your days at Press Pass on ESPN. Uh, pretty critical of Arsene Wenger. I think a lot of your analysis now is... Uh, I think it was accurate then, personally, but I, I think now um, it's becoming more and more obvious that there's um, there's a malaise at uh, Arsenal Football Club. I know Craig Burley and Stuart Robson often get uh, just this terrible feedback from the peanut gallery of uh, Wenger apologists and uh, that contingent of Gunners fans that are still with Wenger. Do you ever experience that on social media or uh, people calling into the two hobbies, etc.? No, I don't. I don't know whether I deliver it anyway, any differently, but <laughs> I've been saying the same thing about Arsenal for, for, for a number of years now. Um, but I don't. No, I don't get a lot of um, kind of abuse. Or uh, I mean, of course, sometimes through social media, people will disagree with what I say about their club and team and. And that's absolutely fine. No problem with that. Um, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't feel any, any pressure. I mean, I think hopefully you've noticed in the time I've been doing this, um, you know, 
talking football on, on TV that I try to be honest. I'm, I'm absolutely honest of what I'm thinking and what my opinion is. And I, I, so I don't really, I mean, I, I, I don't care what people think of it. It's what I'm thinking. And if people don't like it, that's fine. They can have their opinion. But no, I no, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, Craig delivers it maybe more aggressively than tonight. Yeah, he has um, a tendency to do but, that. Uh, yeah, but um, no, I, I, I don't, I don't receive any particularly bad feedback. Um, you know, on any, they tag me on it, or whatever. I get very, very little of that. Right, and of course, Stuart Robson is connected uh, as a player and, and as a as a coach and commentator afterwards to Arsenal. So maybe that sort yeah. of, uh, elicits some of it. Uh, Talk about the grind of the Premier League season, right? You've got uh, nine months every year. Uh, now you're in your fourth year with NBC. How do you stay fresh? How do you stay sharp? Because it's it's a longer season than uh, American sports commentators are accustomed to. Yeah, well, you know, that. I, I mean, I'm just used to that. I'm used to it as a player for, for nearly 20 years and then, then working on it. So um, that, that's. That's not a problem. I think I think this this job that we have is just a phenomenal job. I mean, there's three of us for two seats um, with Rebecca um, for the season, so we get a nice in, in the rotation. You get a break. I've just had a quite a long break because I think I was ahead in terms of numbers of shows that I've done. Um, so I, I mean, right now I feel brilliant because I, you know it, 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 I guess it is nice to have a a little bit of time away. I mean, I, I still watch all the games and I still do um, two of these football show, radio show on a Saturday, five o'clock. Um, we still record regular podcasts, me and Robbie are for the two Robbies. So I, I, I'm not switching off totally, but it's, um, I don't know, I, I think it's, it's, it's somewhat liberating to be on air and to, to get out your, your thoughts and your opinions and, and get it out there and some different angles that maybe haven't been brought up before, which is what I try and do, try and you know, bring something different. Um, so yeah, I, I, listen, I, I, you'll never hear me complaining about a long season when this job is just so great and, and the support we get from NBC is so good and my colleagues, you know, we all got on so well. But uh, no, it, it is long. Uh, but I tell you what, it didn't have fly by. It goes so, so quickly. You've been in the States now for a decade. Uh, obviously worked for ESPN for five or six years, press pass show, commentary on yeah. various European games, Champions League. Now um, uh, NBC for the last four. Uh, what brought you to the States in the first place? And, and does it now feel like home for you? Uh, well, I, I re- retired um, playing, and I had, uh, I think I was about, just coming to 36 years of age, I finished with Sheffield Wednesday, and I had hip surgery, you know, annoyingly, one of my last ever training day sessions, um, I, I struck a ball towards goal a little bit awkwardly and, and tore labrum in my in my right hip, so I had to have surgery on that, and then it was kind of like, you know, we're in the northeast, still living in, in Middlesbrough, just outside Middlesbrough, and it's like, right, that, that you can draw a line under that you know, fantastic experience of 20 years as being a professional player. And it's something that, that players think about, well, I thought about it pretty much every day, about what I was going to do when I finished. And I think we come to the conclusion that, you know what, it's about our boys. Uh, where, where's the best place for them to develop, to to have opportunities, to, to uh, lifestyle, etc. And I just thought it, it wasn't there. I just thought our family was down south. Um, I just, I just, I just thought there was something better out there, to be honest. And and we love America. And I, I threw a few emails out to people and got a, a response from uh, John Kerr, who was the head coach of uh, Harvard University soccer team, men's team, and he knew me because he played in England a little bit as well. And, and invited me over. I checked out Boston, and kind of the rest, the rest is history. There, I just thought this area, part uh, with the um, 
the school system and everything else just felt like a good spot for us. It's kind of European feel. It's just a six-hour flight back to London. Um, so I thought with the opportunities here of, of, of everything for the boys, it'd be the best place to be. Being from the south of England, how difficult was it to acclimate to the northeast when you first went there? I mean, we hear this, and you, you've given the analysis yourself about Sunderland and Newcastle whenever they've struggled in the league, which is every season, right? <laughs> but um, that sometimes it's tough for players to acclimate to that part of the country. So so how did you do it and have such a long, prosperous career uh, at Middlesbrough? Well, it's funny because I had, I had no problem. I had no problem. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock. I was a 21-year-old, I think, when I left Oxford with my family, etc. down there, my girlfriend. Uh, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know where it was, really, in the country. Um, but but it, it, I can't speak high enough for the people in the northeast and in, in the Teesside area. I mean, it's um, just just so warm, so welcoming. The club is very, very different when I first went to it. And it went through this transition, this, this rise when Steve Gibson took control of the club. I mean, Steve Gibson was part of a, a group of guys that saved the club from liquidation, you know, back around the 80s, mid-80s. So, it, it was, you know, it's just, just amazing what's happened to the club since then. But I can't speak highly enough. I love, the, I love the area. The people are amazing. They absolutely, all of them, support and love the football club. You won't drive around Middlesbrough and you won't see any Liverpool, Arsenal or Chelsea shirts. It's all about the borough. It's about the, 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 the red shirt supporting the team at Ayrton Park. Now it's the Riverside Stadium. Not a big city, but I think there was some stat out there or something that the biggest percentage of its population support the local side is Middlesbrough. So something that was out there, um, you know, it might be hard to get that verified, of course, but it basically is, you know, People in the town love football and love their club, and I and I, I just I loved every bit of it. And I think just in terms of how I stayed there for so long is the club did go on an upward curve. So my my playing from a young twenty one year old, we kind of fitted each other. I mean, it went from you know at times we struggled in the championship, the league below, and then Brian Robson took over, and then the revolution came with the Brazilians, Janinho and Ravanelli and Emerson, and then we have Merson and Ince and Gascoigne, and all these wonderful players came to the club, and I stuck with it. I stuck with it, and I think, you know, I guess they needed my kind of stability, my way that I can um, play in midfield to support some of these more talented, flair type of guys, and we just matched just, we just matched all the way through um, through new training grounds, through cup finals, through success and failures. and I mean, it's an amazing ride when I look back and think of some of the highs and lows. But in terms of other people settling in the northeast, maybe the top, top guys would prefer to be in, in London or, or Manchester. It's a big, big old city now. There's a lot going on. And maybe that's... A, a, a part reason of why the clubs in the northeast can't attract and keep kind of star players, category A players, if you like, for any length of time, and that must be a reason why the three of the clubs right now, you know, struggle to to stay in the league when when the, the fans, I mean, absolutely love it, absolutely love it, and they're going to get big crowds all the time. But it's just attracting those big time players to to stay at the club for a, for a period of time. When you were at ESPN, you had a, you were very comfortable making the transition as a, a longtime Premier League player, an English footballer, to covering Italian football and Spanish football. Did um, playing with Ravinelli at uh, Barrow help you with that? <laughs> Did it open your eyes to it? Um, uh, 
I, I tell you what, it did open my eyes to. It did open my eyes to the professionalism of different nations and different players from different countries. We had uh, we had Gianluca Festa as well, who was an Inter Milan centre back, a really good player that came to our club as well. So him and and Ravanelli. We had Alan Boxic as well that came a little bit later. Again, I mean, phenomenal player. You know, honestly, really, really good. Um, and just the way that they carried themselves, the way that they trained, their seriousness, their professionalism was striking to me. And I think it helped the club a little bit as well. Ravenelli was a you know star player, and at that time we had the Riverside Stadium, a new stadium, but we had we had we had nothing in terms of a training ground. And he made this quote saying, you know, Middlesbrough buy Ferraris but don't have a garage to put them in. And he's basically saying you, you bring in some great players in, but the facilities are, are garbage. So. The chairman, I guess, reacted, and there's a new training ground now. It's one of the best in the Premier League. Um, but that, in terms of helping my broadcasting, I, I just think coming over to the US and getting out of the bubble of English football was just was just great. And studying Serie A, um, La Liga, and, and, and watching other teams play every week. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's been international. We were doing, I mean, I could do four or five games in a weekend. So I got a really good... Um, kind of sense of the different leagues I got a really good knowledge of different players it's helped me in, in tournaments for ESPN that I worked on and I just I just it was like it's like I tell my buddies back in England it's like hello there's other leagues going on and when you think you've got a great player in a um, I guess right now it would be a Deli Alley um, Spain and Italy and Germany they've got their own Deli Alleys as well you know and, and don't start saying that he's the best number 10 in, in you know in the world and until you've seen other leagues so that for me was was really big really important and I and I look back at the, the Premier League and, and, and I guess the, the the narrative from England is if like you know it's the only league in the world no there's other great stuff out there great players great tactics which I really enjoyed particularly um, studying Serie A so um I think it's just the way I am. I'm kind of analytical. I, I'm fascinated with, with tactical setups. I always have been when I played, um, and it's been it was really good to see different leagues and, and get different influences. And, and I have to say, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona was for, for those few years was right when I was working uh, in that league. And I just, I just, I, I think many times on air, I'm just. Speechless. They took my breath away from the football that they played at that time with Iniesta and Xavi Hernandez and Messi. Um, it, it, and, and I said at the time, the best club team I've ever seen. So that, again, just benefits and bonuses of working for, for outside of England and on different leagues. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, you were one of the few, few people uh, on American television even in 2009 going into that Champions League final, United and Barcelona that touted Barcelona because you could watch them play football and so many of the commentators even here had not. So, and I was taken by Manchester United at that time and thought, well, they'll, they'll walk through this. And it, it obviously didn't turn out that way and learned a lot from that. I've got to ask you about co-commentating. You did a lot of it with ESPN. Um, you're now full-time studio with NBC. Do you miss, uh, not being a co-commentator? Do you wish you could get on a plane and, and, and sit with Arlo White for one or two of those games during the season? Yeah, you know me. I guess you know me. Yeah, I do miss it a little bit. I do miss it a little bit. I'm going to get a little fix of it um, on Saturday. I'm doing Spurs versus Bournemouth, which is which is great. Um, and I and again, I, I I just love doing it. I think just because you got more time, you got more time, and you can pick out things in games, tactical elements. If it's a tactical type of game, some games aren't, and it, that's not the story. Sometimes it's more about emotion and about certain players. Um, yeah, I, I, but I think I think it's just. There's just 
the way it is and the way that, that if you're broadcasting the sport, you've got to be able to do studio and, and the game analysis. And as you said, I've done so hundreds of games as a co-com off tube and, and some big games, um, you know, in the stadiums of World Cups and European Championships with the SPM of Poland, the Ukraine and Champions League finals. Um, so I've done, I've done, you know, some big stuff and yeah, I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't miss it, but, um, you know, you can't have everything. I mean, it's a great league to work on, and, and I love living in the U.S., so how it is right now is, is phenomenal, and, and this trip gives us all a little bit of a fix, gives Kyle a bit of a go at it as well, and, and Robbie Earl, and we all get to rotate our roles, which we will we'll do again um, for this trip. Um, so I know what I'm doing. I know I'm pitch side at Middlesbrough, which is going to be great to be pitch side, and Lee Dixon's with, <laughs> with me down there, so I'm sure we're going to be butting heads with Middlesbrough and Arsenal with our connections there. So, I mean, th- these weekends are so great. They're so great, and we all look forward to them so much. I mean, the, the organization, the preparation from the crew at NBC is just ridiculous. I mean, I can show you emails of, of, of plans and schedules. It's just, you know, what goes into it. You know, we, we get to see all the detail, and it's just so remarkable that they can pull it off, and, and most often without too many glitches on air, it's, uh, it's just great credit to them. Yeah, and, I, and I'm recalling now as we're having this conversation that you did the Chelsea uh, City game last season at Stamford Bridge, a game that City uh, walked 3-0, or 2-0 or 3-0, but I, I just recalled that. So you have gotten your, a chance with NBC when you've got over. Uh, last question, got to ask you this. Uh, how did you meet Robbie Earl, and what was the genesis of the Two Robbies show? Uh, well, we played against each other many times, uh, and Robbie Earl was a tough opponent. I've got to be honest, that Wimbledon team, was aggressive, direct. So I didn't particularly enjoy playing against Robbie Earl. I think that the problem I had with him is, is, is his aerial ability. I think when we stand next to each other in the studio and that, we're about the same height, which surprised me a little bit because when I played against him, he couldn't half jump and he couldn't half attack a ball well from across from the, from a wide player at Wimbledon and run into the box late. And I was honest enough to run with him. Um, but he was hard to stop. So that, that's, I guess, when we first, um, met each other and then we, we seemed to work well at ESPN we both did some we're both on the press bar show and Robbie often um, from his, his little bureau cam on the west coast or before that from England and we had like a little good rapport I thought and I know Steve Basie producer of that show used to like it we were on together because we could go back and forth in a respectful way and have different kind of views and different opinions and you know Polisi kind of liked it and he, and he kind of nurtured us a little bit um, and kind of helped shape us a little bit, certainly me, you know, in, in that side of things and with the studio show. Steve Plessy was, you know, pretty important for, for my kind of development at the start. I didn't really, you know, I struggled to get, to get used to the cameras and the ISB in your ear and the producer talking to you and everything that, that you have to do with a studio show. And it took me a little bit of time and Plessy was great. Um, so, yeah, so then, of course, we then were, were, were asked to join NBC. Um, Pierre liked us. And I just think we, um, I just, I just think there's a nice uh, chemistry between us. I, I think, you know, we, we disagree quite a lot, I, I, which is, which is great. Um, but I don't think we've ever really got where it's got nasty between us or we're a little bit aggressive or angry or where it's awkward TV. You know, you don't want that. You want different opinions, but you, in my opinion, but you want respectful. So you want, you know, you, you want to disagree, but in a respectful way, bringing different points and you make your point to try and justify your argument. And I just think we, um, well, from my, my side of it, I enjoy debating with him. I enjoy pushing him, prodding him, asking him stuff. If he said something on air, what, what do you mean, Rob? What about that? Or 
So I just think it's it's nice, and it's not that I don't do that with Kyle because that, that's fine, um, and, and that's been good, and we've had some heated stuff as well between me, me and Kyle. Um, but I think you know, two Robbies. I just think it makes sense to to try and give more. And when we started the Two Robbies uh, radio show, we actually just said to our, our bosses at NBC, "Is like, we want to give more? We, there's so little chat time really because of all the games that we cover, because of the commercial breaks, because of." TV stuff really. We wanna we wanted to um, to give more back and hear from fans and get their views on things. So that's why, you know, we start the radio show, which is only an hour long, which is tough to get, you know, much interaction because the breaks, you know, because it's just difficult. Um, and then but the podcast is something that we do now regular and um, you know, we enjoy that. It's just a ta- it's just a chance to just have a chat about what we've just seen over the weekend. And, and, and say how our things on and how we see things in and mostly in the Premier League, but uh, in football in general. Kyle wanted me to ask you about your golf game. I'm not going to do that. We're going to let you take a mulligan on that. Hope, hope you enjoy uh, your, your return to the Riverside and, and three days over in the UK. I, I, did, did I hear you correctly that you're going to be co-commentating on Southampton Man City? Is that the game on Saturday? No, Spurs. Oh, Spurs Bournemouth. Sorry, okay, the the early kickoff. So Spurs Bournemouth, Robbie Musto will be the co-commentator on that. We'll return to the Riverside pitch side with Lee Dixon, former Arsenal player, on uh, on Monday. So we look forward to that. Robbie, thank you for your time and enjoy your travels. Thanks, Karthik. Now, Karthik, I, I thought I was particularly interested in hearing uh, Robbie Musto's insight there about what he learned, where, where he learned the ropes of being a soccer analyst after being a, a retiring from pre- professional football. Um, and, and how he learned to become a better co-commentator at ESPN. I thought that was particularly uh, revealing. And uh, any other last final thoughts on that interview? Any, anything else you want to share? Yeah, I um, obviously you guys just heard of me asking him about being at Borough and acclimating because we've heard so much through the years about how it's difficult for players from the south of England Robin Lester was from the South, to acclimate at Newcastle and Sunderland in particular. And then foreign players who come in, they have a tough time acclimating. His uh, discussion of that was uh, was fantastic. And, and maybe Borough is a little different. There's less pressure than uh, Newcastle or Sunderland. There's a smaller supporter space. And then also uh, the discussion about Ravinelli and um, and Janino and all the players that came through Borough in that era. Um and, and how uh, that was indicative of the transformation of the Premier League. You've got a, a smaller town club in the northeast of England, kind of geographically isolated, attracting those sorts of players. And how uh, that created this uh, this stimulus, helped, helped just was indicative of the stimulus of all these foreign players coming into England and, and making it the league that it is today. So everyone starts, uh, basically switch on your alarm clocks for Saturday at 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. And uh, if, if the coverage is anything like in the last two years, it's going to be incredible to watch in terms of a lot of behind-the-scenes footage, a lot of exclusive interviews, uh, pitch side, um, and just what should be an entertaining uh, weekend. Uh, hopefully you'll get to watch as much of that coverage as possible, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the next episode. So, Kartik, where can listeners find you on the internet? Uh, find me on Twitter at KKFLA737 and, of course, at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Definitely, and, and hit me up at uh, willsoccertalk.com also. Thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the Will Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audioboom, and willsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media, and uh, be sure to give us a review. And Kartik, over to you. Enjoy your football. <laughs>